0: Let's begin now. Don't worry, Dusty, I got this. Welcome to After Hours with Dusty Likens. I'm Jed Marshall. Tonight on the show, Bob Kendrick from the Negro Leagues Museum is going to join us. Dusty, hopefully, will stop talking to Henry Lake here in a minute and actually host the show. But until then, I'll just keep filling time.
1: I thought that was good. Let's give it up for Jed Marshall. I think Jed Marshall should host tomorrow night's show after opening day.
0: Perfect. Will do.
1: Hey, hey, hey. let's go, Daddy.
0: Do All I right. not have to talk for any of the time?
1: I mean, you could just replay the Royals game in like an expedited version. Perfect. In case you missed any of today's action, top of the first, Royals are facing the twins. I'm Denny Matthews, Royals baseball.
0: And if you didn't hear any <laughs> of Vern's postgame show, we're going to re-rack that. Uh, so it should be great.
1: That's awesome. I loved that, by the way. That was good. That was good. Sorry, Henry Lake, formerly of Lake and Bink, is in town because Minnesota plays the Royals tomorrow on opening day. Uh, For those of you that are sleeping under a rock, by the way, tomorrow's going to be 70 degrees. Last night, we had a lot of negative energy towards opening day, Jed, and I don't understand it. Nobody wants to go. Everyone's pissed because they can't watch it on TV. That has nothing to do with opening day. People said, oh, the weather always sucks. It's going to be 70 degrees tomorrow. We're going to have 40 mile an hour winds, hopefully blowing out from home to center field. So that we can bet the over of nine.
0: Did you also know that if you are unable to watch the game, that Mm -hmm. you can listen to every Royals game all season long right here on 610 Sports Radio KCSP?
1: That is very, very well noted.
0: I didn't know if you knew that.
1: I am one of those nerds, though, that if I don't move my TV out to the patio, I will turn the radio on. I mean, how do you not like Denny Matthews?
0: Absolutely. Or you can... Dusty, I don't know if you knew this as well. You can also download the Odyssey app for free. Cost you $0. You free 99? Anytime you want, wherever in the world.
1: Mm. You know, it's always good when you bet Luca over 30 and a half points, and then the first thing you see on the TV is him grabbing his shooting hand. That's always good fortune. Since we did so well in the March Madness Tournament. Uh, from the 913, good evening, gentlemen. Hope you're doing well today s jordan on the text line first one to chime in 913-586-7610 we are on until nine o'clock a little two-hour show don't worry it'll go fast um i don't think that's a good that's what she said but i mean i'm sure it could be if you played your cards right um jed not a fan of the office unfortunately um but it is what it is you remind me of robert california
0: It's my least favorite character yeah. from the office. Uh,
1: that's funny. It's everybody's least favorite character
0: because the show started to suck when he came on. Correct. That's why.
1: Correct. I didn't like Kathy Bates, but I like Kathy Bates more than I liked Robert California.
0: Well, I thought it was an interesting conversation they were having the other day on Cody and Gold talking about shows that they quit watching because mm-hmm. they just, you know, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. The office I've gone back and now finished, but. Mm. It was definitely one of those shows where I'm like, I don't need this in my life. This isn't funny. Right. It's enjoyable. It was like pulling teeth to a certain extent.
1: I've yet to watch the final season.
0: You didn't. You're not missing much.
1: I didn't think so. I know they bring uh, Michael Scott back for like, what, an episode?
0: Yeah, for the finale. That's, you should, uh, to me, it's one of those, I don't know, you've uh, you mentioned you watched obviously all the, except for the last season. Mm-hmm. At that point, I would say just pull the bandaid and go ahead and watch the last season. Right. But again, you're not missing.
1: The office is a perfect example of why shows that are perfect. Like, uh, Oh, I don't know. Uh, breaking bad. They end it with you wanting more. The office ended with you wanting less. If that's fair, unpopular opinion from the eight one six, the office was never funny. Very unpopular opinion because there are episodes within that show that I sat and watched that I was like I don't know if I can continue to watch this.
0: And like, if you if you go back and watch it now, yeah. it's so un you know like uncomfortable to a yeah. certain extent, but people oh. who are like you and I who have a very weird sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Priceless.
1: Yeah, like when he so goes to priceless. the what when he's sleeping with the bartender and she's married and he goes to the baseball game and makes it awkward and then shakes his hand through the chain link fence. Like that whole episode the first time I watched it I was just like sitting there like oh my god. Um, you just heard John Kritz of uh, K-State Wildcats. Uh, guy knows his stuff, and I thought he hit it right, right off the start of the show when he said, you've got you know, the basketball version, potentially, of Bill Snyder. You know, Six of seven seasons of 11 wins, couldn't agree more. Uh, Jerome Puditang in the house in Manhattan for quite some time. Um, in case you missed it, we will play the super cut of John Sherman today. I know some people heard that on the drive, but not everybody that was in their car today listened to it or got to hear it. Um, because at the end of the day, it's all just, recess, recess. when it comes to moving the stadium downtown, it's going to expand. They're going to move. They're going to get rid of Kauffman stadium, but eventually it will happen. It is what it is. Recess, recess. It's just what happens with baseball. It's a city sport. We'll see if it goes on, but again, a little bit more buzz around opening day. We'll all be there. 16 crew will be there. I can't wait. Three o'clock start again. I'll have to run, not necessarily on my feet but on my car tires from the stadium to here to do the show tomorrow maybe like around seven to nine similar to the same time but you know we're we're under 24 hours for opening day and I get it some of the excuses are Super Bowl hangover draft around the corner football continues to be going through a time warp zone of never ending we just seem like we're going to blink our eyes the schedule release will be here blink our eyes again We'll be in St. Joe again, and then next thing you know, we're kicking the ball off at Arrowhead on Thursday Night Football, waiting for the Chiefs to uh, to get the thing, get the damn thing rolling again for a run it back tour one more time. But I do want to play what John Sherman had to say, and again, I do want to remind you all that Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Hall of Fame, the museum, everything about it, will join the show here at seven fifteen because he is in fact included in MLB the Show. His voice, his dream, his vision now coming to life via video game. But, again, this was John Sherman earlier today. Talking about one of the projects, the stadium, I know that the Star had an article talking about some locations, the East Village being one of them, also the old Star printing facility. Just wondering if you can confirm if those are locations that the team is considering for a new stadium.
2: You know, I would confirm that – You know, I think East Village, we've talked about, it's been talked about. You know, we've done probably the most work on that site. Um, uh, And then the other site was the Kansas City Star Building? Or the Kansas City Star site. You know, we've certainly heard from them. I think uh, the owners of that property have some creative ideas. There are some challenges. I mean, that is one of the sites that I I wouldn't say it's been eliminated, if that's your question. But it's, uh, it's a site that's got some challenges for a variety of reasons.
0: A couple of follow-ups on things you've said. You mentioned the south of 670, that kind of star building area. What are the challenges there that
2: maybe aren't other places? Um, it's really more about land acquisition and, and uh, being able to get enough land to develop. It's you know I, I look at that side. That's a, that would be a really cool place to have the stadium, right? Right, <coughs> next, right next to uh, um, Power, uh, Power and Light and the, Sprint Center, or the T-Mobile Center. But but that's probably the biggest issue, Todd, is just the uh, the fragment. I mean, you have one owner of the star building itself, but the, there's a lot of things around it that it w- would not be as efficient to acquire the land.
0: And as far as the East Village goes, it looks like the land stuff is maybe not the biggest issue there. What are any issues you have there is, uh, that would make it more difficult than
2: anywhere else? In East Village? Yeah. Um, well, there's some work to do. There's some infrastructure work to do. You know, I mean, I, I think we talked about it when we were down in Surprise. The, I had just been to the Super Bowl and got stuck on the highway and had a walk uh, to the parking lot. But um, we can't have, we couldn't have something like that. And I, I know it was the Super Bowl again. I'm not criticizing State Farm, but. Um, uh, you know, egress and ingress will be important. I think people talk about parking in Kansas City, but there's plenty of parking down there. So there would have to be some infrastructure investment to to make sure that that could be a good experience for our fans. I think there is a, uh, there's kind of a window on the calendar that I would describe as between uh, probably August and next April that would, you know, would allow us to have opening day, you know, at, you know, 27, 28, if we, if we hit that in that time range.
0: And then do you envision, I guess, what what details do you envision you need to have settled by the time that you do, you know, go to city council and, and have this on the ballot?
2: What do we have to have done? Yeah, I mean, do Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of things with the lease uh, details, and the chiefs are involved in that. We've got, we're having discussions right now with uh, political leaders, Jackson County, the executive and the legislators about, you know, what that ballot language would be, I, I think, you know, we are also, you know, we've been conducting polling uh, in, in Jackson County and Kansas City. So just those types of things. Sorry,
0: get one
2: more. And the financing plan, I should say. I mean, that's obviously very important as, uh, is the financing plan.
0: What, what are the results of the polling? That, especially, I know Friday you recently sent stuff out as well. What, was, what sort of feedback are you getting on the
2: polling? You know, it's pretty good. Um... It's pretty good when when you ask the simple question about uh, an extension of the tax, it pulls really well. I mean, if you really think about Jackson County, a continuation of that tax, we'd just be redeploying the same money that we're using to maintain old buildings. I mean, I love Kauffman Stadium, but this is an old building. And its in its life, you know, we can see that it's, it's life has some limits here. And redeploying that capital into doing something transformational for Kansas City downtown with a ballpark and a district, I kind of feel like that's a that's a pretty good choice. Now, uh, it's a public-private partnership. It's the taxpayers' decision, and and they're going to have to believe that we're we're delivering a public a public benefit in exchange for that. I would just say it's a complicated process. I think this is a huge decision, and and I I look at it as maybe the most important decision that we'll make while we have the privilege of stewarding this team. So we want to do it right. Uh, I I know people are anxious for that, and I'm anxious for it myself, but there's a lot of work to do, so.
1: Timeline, any idea how long we'll get an answer?
2: I can't, I don't, I really don't want to give you. Uh, a precise time but I'm 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 probably as anxious to, as you to kind of get moving with this but it is a uh, it's a complicated process and we're working with the chiefs as well and at some point they'll be part of this conversation too.
1: So that there was John Sherman today speaking to the media about the downtown stadium speaking to you next Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here on 610 Sports Radio on after hours. Back in on after hours I don't want to make this man wait any longer. Opening day tomorrow. You can play MLB the show currently. Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum joins us live on After Hours. Bob, how are you, my friend?
3: Man, I'm good. That's so good to catch up with you.
1: It's been a while, man. I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know the last time I saw you, we were doing that wiffle ball party. Yes. I, I did hit a home run. I, I don't want to self-gloat, <laughs> uh, but it did. It was over the fence. I know I'm too big to do an inside the
3: parker. but Did, did, did you flip the bat?
1: Oh, you better believe it. and you better believe I pimp walked that thing too. As soon as I hit it and came around third, (laughs) but home runs are cool, Bob for sure. But one thing I can honestly say is I'll never have my voice in a video game. And I don't know if you ever could have said the same, but Times are a- changing, and you're uh, you're going to be featured on uh, MLB The Show as well. The, the Negro Leagues players of the past, Satchel, Buck, all those guys will be video game ready to play. What does that make you feel like deep down inside for you, Bob Kendrick?
3: Well, it's a tremendously proud day for all of us at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, for Negro Leagues history, and, and you're right. I never, in my wildest dreams, would have ever thought that i would be a part of a video game and so it's pretty special man the work that the folks did over at playstation to bring negro leagues into the epic video game mlb the to 23 edition and we've got a deal for the next five years to bring additional negro league players into the game and what this means again for the awareness and recognition of the negro leagues I mean, this digital platform, Dusty, is absolutely incredible, man. It it surpasses anything that I could have ever imagined. So the thing that kind of
1: interests me in this whole thing is that I think maybe 20 years ago, and maybe that's too long, video games kind of had a cap where it was like, yeah, once you turn 18, like it's time to graduate from video <laughs> games, start your life, get into the real world, and, and put the controllers down. But I think the way that we have evolved as a as a society – Video games now, there is no end age because of online gaming and because of, you know, the entertainment aspect there is throughout the country. And it makes me wonder, like, how much attention this can bring towards the Negro Leagues Museum because you're going to have people that are going to play this game. Let's say they live in, you know, Tallahassee that have never, you know, even thought about coming to the Negro Leagues and now knowing that this is an actual thing that actually does exist and is very awesome to go see – this might actually bring people into this because of the level of expansion that video games have brought.
3: Oh, oh, there's no question. I got tweets from folks who are in England who say they can't wait to come over to see the Negro Leagues Museum because they've fallen in love with the Negro Leagues in MLB, the show 23. And, and not only the players, but the stories that we share, which is really what makes the game, I think, very unique because what we wanted to do, we obviously wanted to introduce these legendary players, but we also wanted you to get some detailed information in the form of miniature vignettes, and, and what you referenced, that's what I'm doing. I'm narrating throughout the video. I'm sharing these stories, and honestly, I wasn't sure how the gamers would receive the stories. I thought they would fall in love with these players, because what's not to love about Satchel Paige? Buck right. O'Neill, Hilton Smith, Martin Higo. But I am just overwhelmed by the reaction to the stories. They are falling in love with these stories, and they're clamoring for more. I mean, all these social media posts, oh, I can't wait. We want more stories. And and that really kind of took me by surprise.
1: How did this all come about? I guess, how did did PlayStation contact you? Did MLB get with you? Or how did they get to... Bob Kendrick's cell phone number. Hey, this is the idea. <laughs> Obviously, as soon as you get the memo, you're on board. I know you weren't like, you know what? This is something I'll wait on. How did this whole thing come about to where you are like doing this on a video game?
3: Yeah, it, it happened, and it happened relatively quickly after we moved past the discovery phase, Phase, I should say. And, and so Sony PlayStation reached out to me. Now we had been dreaming for years about the possibilities of Negro League players being in a video game. I wasn't sure if this would ever become a reality. Well, I get a call from Ramon Russell over at PlayStation, and he had this idea. We started to sit down and vet the idea, and the more I talked with them, the more stories I shared with them, the more engaged and interested they became in trying to see if we could do this project. The project was initially supposed to be released in 24, Mm. but they fell in love with the stories as well. And we moved the time frame up to 23. And the young folks there at PlayStation went to work. And I'm gonna tell y'all, they did not spare any details. I mean, everything about this game was done because they truly wanted to show and demonstrate the proper respect for the Negro Leagues from the uniforms, from the crowds, to the vintage stadiums that are included in the game. Uh, you know, you get to play as Satchel Paige, but you don't get to pick his fastball, curveball, changeup. You get to pick from the names of his legendary pitches. So you get to pitch. You get to pick the Midnight Creeper, the Two Hopper, the Bat Dodger, the B Ball, and, and and you get to see a scenario where he calls in the outfield and sits the infield down, and now you've got to strike out the final batter to get out of the inning. And, and people are just going nuts over this. And, and I, like I said, I couldn't be happier, man. And, and th- this was a passion project for all of us.
1: So do you think there'll ever be a time where you are physically on the game?
3: You know, right now we're just going to have me stick to narration. Okay. I, don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll ever get to be a character in the game. But, you know, to be in there narrating and sharing these stories and, to see the response that people have had to these stories, many of these stories, the stories that were shared with me by the former Negro League players, of course, my friend Buck O'Neill. It it is absolutely heartwarming. And and like I said, it fills me with tremendous pride to see this because you touched on it. This digital platform is enormous. It really is. We will reach more young people and young adults with this video game and they will be introduced to the Negro Leagues, then in the history of our organization. And Dusty, we've been around for thirty-three years. And and so this is I know people maybe just saying, it's just a video game. Mm-hmm. Nah, it ain't just a video game. This platform is enormous. You know, obviously there's a business aspect to this. There's a license uh deal that we did with Sony PlayStation on this, and then there's a charitable component as well. Where PlayStation is donating a dollar from every um, kind of custom game or collector edition game, uh, a dollar will come back to the museum and you know to put it in perspective, they raised over a half million dollars for the Jackie Robinson Foundation a few years ago through this you know through this opportunity and so there's a obviously a real financial windfall possibility for the museum and you're always looking for what I call non-traditional streams of revenue to come in and help support and sustain an organization like the Negro leagues baseball museum.
1: I think the hardest thing of you as a character would be how many outfits they could cut down. Because I mean, <laughs> you talk about different names of pitches for Satchel page. I mean, we'd have like, you know, like we'd have the, the crispy suit. We'd have the lean suit. We'd have the dinner for two suit, you know, I mean, it'd be, it'd be interesting, but Bob, I thought something that was kind of cool that I know you probably enjoyed was that, that moment in the world baseball classic where it was Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. What is what is the matchup that Bob Kendrick would love to see from Negro League players from the Negro League days, pitcher v. batter, like it was Otani versus Trout?
3: Oh, it's Satchel and Josh. Okay, legendary Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson. And and, I mean, can you imagine what that was? And you know, in one of the stories that I tell, not included in this game. But one of the stories that we tell was that epic showdown. I mean, this is almost identical to what you saw with Shohei Mm -hmm. Atani and Mike Trout. The only difference is in the showdown between Satchel and Josh, Satchel was talking to Josh and told him what he was going to throw him and struck him out on three pitches after telling him what he was going to throw him. Only the immortal Leroy Satchel paid. Yeah, uh, but that that matchup between Shohei and and Mike Trout, in its own way, very similar. And I was excited. I mean, obviously, I'm pulling for the U.S. But when Japan won that, because a lot of people did not know that the Negro Leagues introduced professional baseball to the Japanese going all the way back to 1927, seven years before Babe Ruth and its All-Stars go, a team of Negro League barnstormers called the Philadelphia Royal Giants would go over and play a 24 game exhibition series. They go 23 0 1 on the tour. The tour was so successful that seven years later, Ruth and his All Americans would go over to Japan. And it was the tour, that tour, and the subsequent tour of Negro Leaguers that are actually credited with lighting the fire that is now the flame for professional baseball in Japan. So
1: I'll get you out of here quick because I know it's late in the evening. It's almost 730. But one thing I do want to reach on is when you when you look at tomorrow and opening day, obviously baseball starts and that kind of gets the clock ticking for teams that come in town and and yeah. tour the museum. And it's really cool to see. Like, I think it's interesting when athletes kind of report, you know, on Twitter, or on Facebook, whatever it may be, probably not Facebook anymore, but Instagram and Twitter about their experience. What's the greatest story you have from an athlete from out of town. That's maybe pulled you to the side and told you how mesmerizing this was.
3: I I think last year, man, because when the Dodgers came, Clayton Kershaw hung with me every step of the way. He was fully engaged with everything that I was sharing with the delegation from the Dodgers. And, And I just thought that was special because, you know, For the African-American and Hispanic athlete, the museum is like Mecca. That is their roots. That is their legacy. They don't play this game had it not been for the players in the Negro Leagues. But here's one of our biggest stars in our game, a white athlete who was completely enthralled with this. And he pulled me aside to tell me how special it was, and he shared it with, Others, when he, got back, when he got back into the clubhouse and that, that day, it was salute, salute to the Negro Leagues uh, that particular time when the Dodgers were in town last year. And so when I get into the clubhouse, the first person to greet me was Freddie Freeman, who had some family commitments and couldn't make it. And the first thing that he said to me, man, they told me how special this was, when we come back this season, I am coming to the Negro Leagues Museum. And so that is what you love, the fact that the athletes are spreading the word amongst themselves. It used to be a time when I had to try and reach out to them and try and convince them to come to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But now they're calling me wanting to come to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And to me, that is a wonderful indication that we are hitting home with this message of why this story of triumph over adversity is so powerful and so inspirational. And if you make your living in baseball, as you know, no sport holds to its history the way baseball does. And if you're gonna be a part of this sport, you should know the history of our game. And the Negro Leagues are an important part of the history of this game, as well as the history of this country.
1: Last one, what does opening day mean to Bob Kendrick?
3: Oh, man, opening day, spring you know, hope springs eternal. Get out there and root on the boys in blue. And, you, you know, we think we got a chance. All 30 teams think they got a chance, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we feel pretty good about our chance, too. And the excitement of opening day is, you know, opening day in baseball, there's just nothing to compare to it. No. And, and I love all the other sports. But there's nothing that compares to opening day in baseball because, again, our sport is the most romanticized of them all. People measure periods in their lives by baseball. You remember your first baseball game. You rarely ever hear people talk about, oh, I remember my first basketball game. I remember my first football game. And I, and I love all of these sports. I am a sports fan. But there's nothing that compares to opening day.
1: Bob, I'll give you the platform if you want to promote anything with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum coming up here. Anything about it, anything at all, go ahead and tell it.
3: Yeah, no, guys, we're excited. I mean, we've—I told someone the other day with the announcement of the release of the first ever series, animated series on the Negro Leagues called Undeniable, uh, and you can get that series on majorleaguebaseball.com dot com slash originals or at the YouTube page where we did the first ever animated shorts on the Negro Leagues. They were playing those during the World Baseball Classic. And then the announcement of the Sony PlayStation MLB, the show video game, including the Negro Leagues. We've had a great year in the first three months of this year, but we got more stuff coming, man. I'm excited about a new exhibit that will open May 20th at the museum celebrating the 75th anniversary of the legendary Satchel Paige joining Cleveland. They, of course, then they were the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, and, and helping them win the World Series. The old man was either 42, but he might have been 52 because no one knows for certain when he gets there. And I don't know if Bill Beck knew he still had some gas in the tank, but the old man still had some gas in the tank, and he helps Cleveland win that World Series. My Cleveland fans, Dusty, get tired of hearing me say this. It was the last time Cleveland won the World Series was 1948 with Satchel Paige and Larry Doby, so the new exhibit, will chronicle that magical season, but we'll also take a retrospective look back at the great black and Hispanic pitchers of the Negro Leagues who would have been 20-game winners had they been given the opportunity to play in the major leagues. This will be a free exhibit in our changing gallery at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It opens May 20th. It will run through the end of September. So another reason for folks to come on down and experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. That's awesome.
1: That's awesome. I just also want to let you know I just shot a seventy-seven at golf on Sunday, so I'm coming for your scratch golfing skills here Ooh, soon, Bob. So whatever, whatever. I'm telling you, man, it was. I mean, you know, you chip out for eagle on hole nine, and then the rest is history, and you just keep playing that vibe. If you know what I mean.
3: Hey, man, I I don't I don't always relate to that, but it so sounds good. It is, and I I hope I can pick up some of that vibe. I'm looking forward to getting out. We have to get out and hit it. And hack it around sometimes.
1: No doubt about it. Bob, thanks again. Uh, God bless for you and all your stuff that you do. And thank you so much for joining us tonight.
3: Oh, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Take care.
1: Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. If you want to catch the interview, you can always check it out a little bit later on the podcast. Thanks to Bob Kendrick. We got to hit a break. Jed Marshall, Dusty Likens. This is After Hours. When we come back, I want to get into a little bit of, uh, well, they care, but they don't. Don't forget, we can do this every night. The 8 o'clock question out of left field. Tonight, baseball-oriented. Come on now. we got opening day. Tomorrow, you can hear Vern's pregame show starting at 2 o'clock here on 610 Sports Radio, and then the Royals will follow. First pitch at, what, 335? Is that correct? Did I do my homework? It's always different. Like, some years it's like 305. Some years it's 310. Some years it's 315. This year, I believe it's 335. Dusty scrolls down his app to see the Royals time. The game comes on, and it says 310. <laughs> so 310 tomorrow. Vern at 2 o'clock. Royals coverage starts at 230. And uh, then you get the uh, the sights and sounds of the boys in blue. They start off 0-0. So like Bob Kendrick said, you can, uh, you know, you can have uh, your cake and eat it too tomorrow because nobody's losing, nobody's winning until obviously the first inning starts. Um, I thought it was interesting last night as the news kind of broke out that the NFL was wanting to expand its season to two Thursday night games, and they want it to be the competitive style of game, meaning that your Thursday night game part do will come later on in the season. If your team is winning. Well, the way that I look at that is three things. One Um, The Chiefs are always a pretty competitive team. Uh, The Chiefs are a prime time team and the NFL is going to want to put that team on Thursday night football. The other thing that is upsetting about this is the fact that Roger Goodell continues to lie.
4: I don't think we are putting Amazon over players interests. Um, You know, we've always been looking at the data with respect to injuries and the impact on players. That was drove our, decisions uh, throughout the first 12 or so years of thursday night football uh and how it's evolved and i think we have data that's very clear uh it doesn't show higher injury rate but we recognize shorter weeks uh we we went through this in covid too um, it's you know you we had to have a lot of flexibility in those areas so those are obviously different circumstances but um we work very closely on that um, i hear from a lot of players directly too They love the 10 days afterwards. Uh, In fact, they call it a mini buy. And so there's some benefits on that side. So you have different views. You want to consider all of them, but players have different views. Coaches have different views, and we have to try to balance all of that.
1: Okay. Um, The fact that you say you're not putting Amazon over it is, is just, quite frankly, a damn lie. We all know what's going on here. In fact, we saw yesterday Patrick Mahomes responded with the palm to the head emoji. And according to Pro Football Focus, the NFL has voted to double the number of short week games that every team can be scheduled to play. The NFL Players Association has so far said nothing. Players have had something to say. Some didn't like the idea of being required to play on a Sunday and then play on a Thursday. Not once per year, but twice. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes tweeted a facepalm in response. I didn't know that was the name of the emoji, facepalm, in response to the news. Teammate Justin Reed said this, multiple Thursday night games will be terrible for players' safety. If fans want to see the better product on Thursday nights, forcing beat-up players to get suited up for a surprise Thursday night game with no time to really game plan for it is not the way to do it. This is 100% Jeff Bezos. This is 100% Jeff Bezos going to Roger Goodell saying, look, dude. I paid a lot of money for Amazon Prime to pick up Thursday night football games. I do not want to pay to see two dud teams play. I saw what my product did when you put the Chargers and the Chiefs on the first game of the season on Amazon Prime. Many new subscribers, many people tapped in. It was Mahomes versus Herbert. It was division rivals. It was up and coming quarterbacks, and it gave him a sense of holy cow, this is what my product can be. And then you move on throughout the season, and it was Seattle versus the Saints. And the viewership was, meh. The problem with the NFL, which is going to be the problem with the NFL, and we're going to have another topic about how the NFL is going to liquidate its entire system, is that it's trying to do too much. The NFL has been very good with changes. The NFL listens to people, They kind of feel itself out, and then they display what they hear. No one really asked for a second or an extra week in the regular season, but everybody was tired of four games in the preseason. So you take from preseason, you give to regular season, handshakes, handshake emoji, and everything's great. But the common fan most likely hates it, and why does the NFL do it? The common fan that roots for their team that is a competitor does not want to see their team suit up a second time on a short week. Thursday night games are already nerve-wracking. Bezos is in Goodell's ear saying money, money, money. But if you really want to do justice to the league and you really want to add primetime stuff, double down on Monday Night Football. We talked about that last night. Put a doubleheader. There's always going to be an East Coast game. There's always going to be a West Coast game. When the NFL season starts and they put that doubleheader on Monday night – I leave myself questioning, why don't we do this more often throughout the regular season? Just one Thursday night football game is plenty. And Thursday night football is already maybe too much. The NFL trying to jump the shark when it comes to stuff like this. And I get it. Goodell is consistently going to tell everybody that it's just, but it's not, it's annoying. Don't do it. You're risking players to say that you care about player safety and add a second Thursday night football game to a competitive team later in the season is not player safety. It's strictly coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll get to the eight o'clock out of left field question here on 16 sports radio and after hours. Still time to bet the Royals tomorrow. Kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. Looks like there will be wind blowing to left field at 18 to 19 miles per hour. So maybe we should just bet a, uh, you know, maybe we should just bet a anytime Salvador Perez home run. Seems like that will play tomorrow. Something else I think you could probably bet is that the LIV Golf League, that I am so adamantly prone to crush because it's absolutely terrible, is probably going to be dead within two years. Everybody on that tour is now realizing that they did something that they probably regret as if the saudi american government wasn't saudi american saudi arabian government wasn't going to let you get out easy this was a article written today saying we've known since the beginning how empty shallow and lame the saudi backed league is now in year 2 and after the shock of all the big flashy contracts has worn off the reality of how difficult it is to start up a new league is beginning to sink in after all What good is having a roster full of washed-up stars when no one is even tuning in to watch them? Because we remember a couple weeks ago, they put it on the CW. And in fact, World's Greatest Pets had more viewership than the LIV Tour did. That's not a made-up stat. I know I do a lot of fun stuff on this show. That is true. But that's probably because they can't afford to. Remember those eye-popping signing bonuses? LIV couldn't stop handing out last year. The reported $125 million for Dustin Johnson, $100 million for Brooks Kepka, and $200 million for Phil Mickelson. Well, should any of those players attempt to leave the LIV golf, they will have to pay back up to quadruple the amount they were given per Sports Illustrated. Quote, none want to play a full season on the PGA Tour, which is good because their LIV contracts, while not prohibiting them from playing a full schedule on another tour, does force them to honor their commitment to LIV. And if for some reason they wanted to leave, live, the penalty clause is two, three, or four times their signing bonus to break their agreement. This penalty clause effectively keeps the players part of the LIV stable until the contract expires after the 2025 season, hence two years, and it is completely gone. Now comes the part where we throw our hands back and laugh at all of these guys. The article continues to say, Dustin Johnson's career earnings on the PGA Tour was about $75 million. It took him 16 years to amass that amount. If he wanted to leave LIV Golf, LIV Golf, he could be forced to pay up to $500 million. At the same rate he was winning on tour, it would take about, oh, 100 years to earn that amount. The majority of the money he earned on tour came while he was one of the top-ranked players in the world. Try to guess his rank now. It's 68th overall, by the way. So much for playing less to make more money. They should have seen this coming. This was a deal for life. You signed up for this. You pay the consequences. You should have known that this was dirty from the jump. All signs pointed to these guys doing the wrong thing. You know, the old cartoons or the movies where the devil pops up on one shoulder and the angel pops up on the other and nine out of 10 times people tend to lean with what the devil has to say. That's what all these guys did. That's what every single one of these people that joined this league did because they knew that their time on the PGA Tour was coming to an end. They could not compete. Every golfer kind of has this same mantra when it comes to the LIV Tour. Greg Norman, the leader and the the voice of it, had lost all respect in every single clubhouse, at every single tournament. Nobody likes Greg Norman. Although a very impressive picture of Greg Norman on the beach walking his dog, um, quite impressive. But when it comes to guys like Patrick Reed and it comes to guys like Dustin Johnson, and if you've watched the documentary of full swing, Dustin Johnson's attitude seems completely different than maybe what it is now. Now, all of a sudden, all these little rules and the the in between the lines that they didn't read of the contract signing. Oh yes. Everything looks great at the beginning. And from what we've all learned as children, that if it looks really good at the start, You probably ought to read the tea leaves in between the lines to see what's really being said or what's really being offered. And now these golfers are basically blacklisted from the PGA tour. They obviously can play in the masters if they qualify, or if they have won. Patrick Reed will be in the masters. Dustin Johnson will be in the masters. They're going to get smoked. I can tell you right now. One reason I know is because Patrick Reed has already said he doesn't like what the 13th hole has become. Why? Oh, because Patrick Reed can't reach it in two. Because he doesn't hit the ball very far anymore, and all he does is complain. He says Dustin Johnson's got to lay up, probably because he's older, probably because he doesn't play as much, probably because the attitude's not there. Big shock. You took $200 million or $150 million to go play in a league less amount of time and get more money. And then on the full swing documentary, your attitude sucks. You're just like, oh, I've done everything I need to do. I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. I know what I'm doing. I'm setting my family up for the future. You're married to Wayne Gretzky's daughter. You've made over $100 million on the tour. All you had to do was just show up and play in tournaments and practice a little bit, not sign your life over to the LIV Golf League. And now, if you want to get out, there's a buyout clause. And it's double, some, triple what you were paid to join it. The PGA Tour has known this. That's why smart golfers like Rory and Tiger and Jordan and Justin and John Rahm and all these guys, they saw this big number. They saw this terrible idea of a league. They saw what it was ran by, and they decided to themselves, yeah, that stinks. It looks nice, but it ain't great. You're looking at it from 100 yards away, but when you get five yards in, you see how ugly it really truly is. And now the LIV golf tour is showing exactly, in fact, how ugly it is. And again, when these contracts come up in 2025, all of this league will crumble. We won't even talk about LIV golf in two years. We might talk about how catastrophic of a failure it was, how stupid these players were that jumped. But again, ego is going to be the fall of all these golfers. It's just what it is. They can't take it anymore on the PJ Tour. The young guys are winning. It's more talented. The talent is rich, and it's hard to win on the Tour. And these guys took the easy way out, and now they've got the hard way to stay in. Coming up on the other side, it's 8 o'clock. We get to the 8 o'clock out of left field question here on After Hours of 610 Sports Radio.